Welcome to NoSpinHomilies.com. I invite you to join me to reflect upon the homilies of Father Dan. Father Dan will challenge us to open our heart, mind, and soul to the Word of God. Father Dan will draw upon sacred scripture along with art, literature, and the lives of the saints to help us grow in our love and knowledge of the scripture. In doing so, we can become the living Word of God in this world. Now it is my pleasure to present to you No Spin Homilies. How often do you talk about life after death, salvation, eternal life, and what it's going to be for us all? Jesus once said, Don't be afraid of those who kill the body and do nothing else. Essentially, Jesus is talking about a dimension of life that goes far beyond the world that we know. Heaven. And so it begs the question, how often do we talk about what happens to us after we die? Sure, when we go to a funeral of someone that we know, a relative or a friend, we start to have those thoughts. But how often do we think of those things, you know, outside of those types of events? Especially now. You know, last week we celebrated All Saints Day, All Souls Day. We recognize those spiritual brothers and sisters. We believe in where they are right now with God and all the angels. Now, the readings for this weekend speak to us about death and the resurrection and what we all hope for after we leave this world and journey to the next world, the world of heaven. Now, go to that first reading. Here we have the second book of Maccabees. Now, this is a story that really prefigures our doctrine on the resurrection. It deals with a time period in which the Greeks occupied Israel. And we hear this person named Antiochus, in the first reading, is the governor of Israel. And he's imposing Greek culture and Greek religion upon all the people, including the Jews. Now, this didn't really sit well with the Jews, so they revolted. And it was led by the Maccabees. And we hear the stories of their courage. Now, you probably ask the question, what are the Greeks doing in Israel? That's so far away from their home. Well, go back to world history with Alexander the Great. Alexander the Great wanted to conquer the entire world. And so, as he and his army swept through one region of the world after another after another, he would conquer it, but he wanted to continue on to conquer the next region of the world. And so, what he would do is he would leave behind regional governors and a government that would impose Greek culture and Greek religion upon those people that were conquered. In doing so, essentially the whole world that Alexander conquered would become Greek. And so it all makes sense. Now, in this first reading, we have these seven brothers and their mother who are arrested by the governor Antiochus. And Antiochus is trying to enforce Greek culture as well as religion upon them. And in doing so, they're forced to eat pork. But they refused, even when faced with the threat of torture and death. They don't give in. And one by one, these brothers are all killed. And so the story in the first reading goes on to account 
how brave their defiance is. Now, one brother, facing torture and death, says to his own executioner, You accursed fiend, you are depriving us of this present life, but the king of the world will raise us up to live again forever. It is for his laws that we are dying. And so this brother, he believes that the king of this world, which is God, our God, Yahweh, will bless him with the resurrection. And therefore, he's willing and able to turn over his life with the hope that God will bless him with the resurrection. Notice what the next brother says. It's my choice to die at the hands of men with the hope of God gives of being raised up by him. But for you, you will not receive the resurrection to life. Now notice the confidence in the words of these brothers, you know, believing in the resurrection. They're very confident that the Lord our God will raise them after death. Now that's a great segue into the gospel. Here we have the Jewish people trying to set another trap for Jesus. And in doing so, at the end of the story, it's they themselves that fall into the trap. Now, it's the Sadducees who essentially lay the trap for Jesus. And at the very beginning of the gospel, we find out who these Sadducees really are. They don't believe in the resurrection because the Mosaic law, the law that Moses gave to the Israelites, didn't mention anything about the resurrection, so they don't believe in it. And yet, what is Jesus preaching about? Just that, the resurrection, salvation, and eternal life. Remember last week in the gospel, we have the story of Zacchaeus? Remember the last thing that Jesus says to Zacchaeus? Today, salvation has come to this house. And the Sadducees, they absolutely oppose the resurrection, which is why they set this trap for Jesus. Now, the Sadducees use a technique of argument called reductio ad absurdum, which is Latin for reduction to the absurd. Now, it's a form of argument in which you take a theory, in this case, the resurrection, and you try and disprove it by following its implication logically, which in this story would be the woman marrying brother after brother after brother and ultimately leading to an absurd consequence, which is, when they all rise from the dead, who is this woman going to be married to? Now, it's important to note, the Sadducees are referring to the law of Leviticus, which is the law of obligation, such that if you were an adult male, and your brother was married to a woman, and he died suddenly, and they did not have any children, you, by Levitical law, would have to marry that widow as a way to care and provide for her. Now you say, well, that's crazy. Well, again, you have to understand the ancient world. Today, in our day and age, we have social safety nets, but that wasn't the case in the ancient world. Back then, there was no Social Security, no Medicare, no Medicaid. There were no food stamps, no unemployment insurance. In the ancient world, women were pretty much forbidden from working. So if a woman's husband died and she was a widow and she had no children, basically, basically she faced a very dire future. No one would care for her. And so Jesus' answer 
essentially teaches us about the resurrection. Now, does he concede anything in the argument? Absolutely not. Instead, it corrects their way of thinking about the resurrection, and maybe even ours. Now, how do the Sadducees believe in the resurrection? Well, they see it as a return to this ordinary world. Now, we would call that reincarnation. A person dies and they come back again in this world, living again, but as a different person. But Jesus, notice how he answers their question. The children of this age marry and remarry, but those who are deemed worthy to attain the coming age and to the resurrection of the dead neither marry nor are given in marriage. So let's take marriage itself. One of the tenets of marriage is that a man and woman come together because they love each other and they want to spend the rest of their lives together. Okay. Another tenet of marriage is the procreation of children. Now, this is very specific to the ritual or the sacrament of marriage. During the ceremony, the presider essentially asks the couple, Will you accept children lovingly from God and bring them up according to the law of Christ and his church? And so, the procreation of children is primarily based upon our own mortality, and it makes sense. We all know that we will all die eventually, someday. We're not robots. We're not going to live forever. And so, just one of the reasons, and I'm sure there's many, but one of the reasons we have children is to carry on the human race. More to it, to carry on the church into the future. So, essentially, the procreation of children is based upon our own mortality. It makes sense. See, that's why Jesus says, Those worthy of the resurrection of the dead neither marry or are given in marriage. Now, why is that? Because marriage after the resurrection isn't necessary. Because the need to carry on the next generation or to repopulate in heaven isn't required. See, the resurrection is not burdened with our mortality, but instead is all about or filled with immortality. Now, this is a great reminder for us all that Jesus' death and resurrection is at the very heart of our faith, as well as the promise that he gives that we will all one day participate in it ourselves. Now more than ever, you know, in this month of November, you know, just a few days ago, our churches celebrated All Saints, All Souls Day, but also our memorial mass in which we remembered our beloved dead and where they are in heaven with God. Now, Jesus clearly died. All four of the gospel writers testified to that. In fact, he sacrificed himself for us. In some ways, similar to the seven brothers in the story in the first reading. Now, when Jesus rose from the dead, you could say he embodies the physicality of the resurrection. The apostles, they see him, they hear him, they even touch his wounds. And so, Jesus' resurrection, it's not a return to this life or this world. It's not a reincarnation. The resurrection of Christ transcends this world, especially this world's space and time. For example, that's the reason why Jesus could appear to the apostles despite the locked doors. 
And so the resurrection of Jesus Christ is very real, but he's not a ghost or a symbol. He's absolutely real. Now, if you look at Paul's writings, when Paul describes the resurrection, he describes it in terms that we will all receive spiritual bodies. Now, every time we gather for Mass, we recite the Nicene Creed. And part of the creed is we say, we look forward for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come, which is heaven. Now, why do we say that? Well, it's because it lies at the very heart of our belief as Catholics. The Nicene Creed is basically a profession of our identity and all we believe. Paul puts it best, 1 Corinthians 15. He says, if Jesus had not been risen from the dead, our faith is in vain. Now, why else do we celebrate the death and resurrection of Christ at Mass? Well, because of the great promise he gives us all. John 6, 54, whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood will have eternal life. Every time we gather for Mass, we remember and we celebrate that great promise. One last thing. Can we earn our way into the resurrection? Can we earn our own salvation? No. The resurrection, salvation, is always ultimately a gift given to us by God. But the one thing that we can do is live our lives worthy of that great gift from God. That's why we come to Mass every week. We receive all of God's grace and all of his blessings in the Eucharist. And then we leave. We leave to go out into this world and try and live a life worthy of that great gift of eternal life for us all. And may the grace and the peace of Jesus Christ Rest upon you always.